Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I am pretty good. How are you? Okay. I don't know if you're if your batteries are running out, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll let you recharge. Jeff, it's Sunday once more, and you know what that means. Uh, it's the real classic. Uh-huh. We dig into our, our catalog, and we pull out episodes I like that, that maybe... You're, st- you're still plowing ahead Listen, and man. trying to, to get this back on the rails. Energizer Bunny. <laughs> I think that uh, we like to go into our 307 episodes, find one that maybe you missed, maybe mm-hmm. you have enjoyed already, maybe if you want to listen once more to... Whatever, whatever ends, you know, here yeah. it is. We want to showcase certain episodes from our catalog. And this year today is a Mother's Day special of It's the Real Classic. Wait, Jeff, who did we get as a guest? We got <laughs> our mom. Shout out to our mom uh, who appeared on our podcast just about a year ago. It was in April. Yeah, for our 250th episode. That's right. Wait, and sorry. I like slurred. This batteries. Every, yeah, it's the batteries. Every single part of that <laughs> phrase. It was our 250th episode, is what I was trying to say. And you said it so well right there. Do you want me to repeat it? Please. Our 250th episode. <laughs> it's, it, it's almost like I had a stroke. I no, or, or it's like your batteries are corroded. Yeah. But we'll figure it out. We'll make it through. Mm-hmm. Jeff, this episode is very special to us. Obviously, it was very special to our mom. For a Mother's Day gift, by the way, last year, we gave her a plaque uh, from this episode. Platinum. Platinum plaque. We gave her a platinum plaque from Nellie's Nellieville. No, we did not. No, we We gave gave her a (laughs) platinum plaque from Nellieville. We gave her a plaque to recognize her achievements with this podcast. And I think the greatest thing is all the people who uh, were were taken by her story. I think there were a lot of people who, you know, people like us, obviously. People listen to us every week or every day. I think the people who listen do like us. Well, if okay, if you like us, let us know. Also, <laughs> if you don't like us, don't let don't us let know. us know. No. Not today. It's Mother's Day. That's right. And our mom's probably listening. Yeah. Shout out to our mom. Shout out to all the moms out there. By the way, Happy Mother's Day to all of our listeners who are moms or have moms or are going to be moms, but or even know a mom. That's right. Maybe you've heard of a mom. We're celebrating all mothers today, mm-hmm. but our mom is the one that we're really celebrating. And uh, Jeff, we spoke to her on the first episode of quarantine radio yep. we checked in we heard about her wonderful things uh book that she keeps and we haven't heard from her since <laughs> <laughs> haven't, haven't checked in so we should should probably check yeah. in with her so uh let's mom see. have these past two months been <laughs> let's see what she's up to and give our mom a call hi eric hi mom how are you i'm fine how are you hi Good. i'm also here jeff's here and, get, and, and, and guess what? Guess what, Mom? What? We're recording what? this for our Mother's Day episode of uh, It's the Real Classic. We are re-airing your episode on Sunday, this Mother's Day. Yeah, so don't say anything wild right now. <laughs> and so There's people listening. And so here you are, Mom. First of all, happy Mother's Day. Well, thank you. Thank you. This is um, a pre-Mother's Day surprise. That's right. And, Mom, we just wanted to check in, see how your quarantine has been, uh, what you've been up to, and if there are any wonderful things that you would like to tell our audience (laughs) and catch them up on. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, this is a wonderful thing indeed, but I do have uh, my little book of wonderful things that I write in every day and have been during this quarantine, which has been challenging at times. Um, the streets of New York are seriously quiet and that kind of uh, makes for a twilight zone-ish existence. Yeah. But, um, but 
wonderful things like hearing from my sons in their various neighborhoods or from their various neighborhoods um watching the michael jordan documentary that's right <laughs> uh, um you know uh zoom which i didn't even know what that was uh that seven weeks ago yeah um so that puts me in touch with friends in North Carolina, South Carolina, Washington, um, New York. There, you know, I think that you just have to keep looking for the light, and uh, there are ways to find it, even in this dark time. It's um, it's just as I said, a, a real challenge for us all. But um, given all that, too, Mom, you've been yeah, you know yeah. you've been getting your steps in in your apartment. You've been uh, you've been, <laughs> in you've been my apartment. yeah you've been reading a little bit. You've been uh, watching some some uh, ballet on on uh, on your computer. I have. So those are all those are all wonderful things. Um, One wonderful thing that I'd like to bring up, Mom, has been uh, your commitment to the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. And uh, specifically, you spoke to someone that was a little bit of a surprise recently when you called up their office. I was asking um, about uh, subscription question. And um, my call went to the membership person and um she she called and she said hi this is megan and i said oh hi um i'm a subscriber i have this question but before we ask um you're megan who danced with the company for all those years and you're now the membership director and she said yes she danced with the company for 10 years and i told her that i had seen her dance so many times and she always you know, just my eye went right to her. She was a wonderful, spirited dancer. And I was able to tell her how much I loved the company, had loved the company since I came to New York in 1971. And and we had this moment. And, you know, I was just able to thank her. And that was a wonderful thing. I think that's very that's special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So next I have to call Megan and ask her to come to my apartment and teach me some of the steps. That would be, <laughs> that would be. I mean, from outside, great. maybe. Well, right. Keeping our distance. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm looking forward to our call for our weekly Zoom. That's right. We've been lucky enough to, uh, to gather, as we do, with uh, our brother Dan, our Aunt Jane, and Mom on uh, Saturdays. We yeah. get together and, and chat for 40 minutes. Yes, I that truly makes me feel whole and it's it's wonderful and I, I I you know don't care how old my children, my men are. I like to see that you know you're looking well and uh and that your hair hasn't grown as long <laughs> as your mother's hair which I sort of look like a lion. <laughs> Mom, as you know, we're airing your episode of Waste Time with It's the Real today and uh you got such a kick out of the response over the last year, not only from strangers, but from friends and family. Uh, do you have anything to say about your experience having told your story over an hour and a half on uh, our podcast? I'm still stunned by it. You know, it's just my my stories and my regular personness. I'm not showbiz or anything, although I wish when I was growing up <laughs> that I would be. But, but, you know, I just... I often think about it still, 
why why were so many people taken with it but maybe i was just open and uh and willing to share my experiences and hoping your listeners would perhaps learn from something or that you know some of the things that i offered up or um have a few laughs along the way yeah well All of that and more, Mom. Uh, thank you very much. Happy Mother's Day to you. We'll certainly see you by Zoom tomorrow, and uh, yeah. and we will talk to you before then. Well, thanks for the call. This is so great. And uh, over and out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Mom. Bye. Jeff, before we get into this episode, we should remind people that if they really mess with us. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash it's the real, and that is where you can go if you really mess with us, if you really mess with an independent movement of two guys getting some of the best interviews in this space. You know, whether that's people in hip hop, whether that's people who are tangentially associated with hip hop. Or if it's our mom. Or if it's our mom. (laughs) Whatever it is, we are here. We are doing uh, the Lord's work. That's right. It is Sunday. we appreciate when people like you uh, are able to get behind us and really like help us propel forward. So patreon.com slash it's the real Thank you in advance. So, uh, Jeff, with that said, we should head into this interview. This is from April of 2019. This is starring our mom. This is a waste of time with It's The Real. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Houston Storage, a.k.a. Ben Trill. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Keep The Heat On Me, a.k.a. Long John. Yo, what up? It's Marjorie, a.k.a. Margie, a.k.a. <laughs> yeah, this is your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. Bra, 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 bra. Mom, what's happening? Uh, this is happening. I'm really <laughs> excited. <laughs> Did you ever expect, Mom, for our 250th episode that we would have you as our big guest? Never expected <laughs> it. Very excited, very humbled, very honored, and honestly, uh, this could be your Mother's Day gift to me. <laughs> it's, real, it's really an honor. I mean, you came prepared with AKAs. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I did it. I'm all night thinking about it. When people say, what do your sons do, how do you answer? I pause and collect (laughs) my thoughts. (laughs) And I say that, I say that you have a couple of podcasts Mm -hmm. and you do all these other things Mm -hmm. and you're... You know, you, you have your hands in a lot of pies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people who listen to our podcast might know you from an incident that happened a few months ago when you ended up in the hospital. You were you were hit by a car. And so I do want you to just say, like, how you're doing, how how these past few months have been. Well, first of all, I, I have to say that um, I know a lot of your fans, friends, listeners, um reached out to you all and showed their concern for me, which was beyond touching and meant a great deal, I know, to you, but also to me. Um, It really warmed my heart. Um, How I'm doing is I have graduated from physical therapy after five months. Just now. Congratulations. Just now. Just now. And um, I worked really hard. I had a wonderful therapist working with me. and, And... so now I'm putting back the pieces of my uh, interrupted life and filling my calendar with all the things that I like to do. And uh, there is an adjustment because um, I, I was living my life and, and the car hit me and um, 
on, on a walk that I take many, 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 many times, have taken many times. And um, so it's made me a, a feel a bit more vulnerable, but I'm, I'm getting back my New York-y type yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and listen, like you got hit by a car, but you should see the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You suffered a concussion. You... Um, three pelvic fractures. You had three pelvic fractures. Yeah. And um, you have no recollection of the actual incident. No, that has not come back. And uh, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, also, the support the love, the good humor, the constant ice packs and food runs and all that that you and your brother Dan and my sister Jane did for me was was what got me back on my feet, literally, and your encouragement. And it was just your good company. I mean, it was just uh, a really... uh, That was... was, uh, those are the memories that I do have, and um, well, there, I there was the, there was the time when you did not remember that Donald Trump was president, which that, was that, that was, was a great. highlight yeah. probably of the whole ordeal. Yes, when I was in the emergency room for twelve hours, and yeah. they kept asking me who the president was. That certainly was was a, a blissful time. It was a scary time, yeah. And I think we're all extremely grateful that you are just about back to one hundred percent, and. We're really happy to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's there's a lot to celebrate, and um, so we're all back on our feet collectively. Yes. Thank you. And again, you came up with your own AKAs. <laughs> where do you think you got it from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know how we start, Mom. Where are you originally from? I am originally from Washington D.C. Um, Born in Silver Spring, Maryland. Born in Washington, D.C. Oh, were you really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, Get your wait, facts right. Wait, didn't you read my bio? <laughs> uh, born in Washington, D.C., um, a native, mm-hmm. and um, moved from the nation's capital, which was then a small town, to um, Silver Spring, Maryland, the suburb mm-hmm. outside of D.C. What was in Silver Spring at that time? A house. <laughs> <laughs> A house that could um, accommodate. Yeah, so my parents were living in an apartment in uh, Washington uh, with my older sister and my much older grandmother. And um, they all lived together there. And so I guess it was a two-bedroom apartment. And then the baby came. And you are seven years younger than your sister. I am seven years younger. And so growing up, what was your guys' relationship like? Well, <laughs> she was older and taller and c- much cooler, always. And um, maybe I've caught up a little now. Uh, but we shared a room. We moved to a three-bedroom house in Silver Spring. And our grandma had one room and our parents. And so my sister and I shared a room. And that was interesting because she had all her Elvis Presley pictures on the walls and all of her you know, her cool stuff all around. And I had my teddy bears and my <laughs> dolls. And so that's a, that's an interesting split. But um, she was very caring. And uh, I remember a favorite photograph that my father took of the two of us um, outside. I was probably about eight, so she was 15, much taller, much, you know, grown more grown up. And um, I was facing the camera, very well behaved, ready for my close-up, and my sister is turned 
uh, toward me. She's fixing a bow on my on my collar of my dress, and she was taking care of me. Mm-hmm. So um, she was a big sister. Yeah. And so when she was, you know, going to college, does that mean that you essentially were just an only child for a bit? I was, and in in effect, because yeah, I was eleven when she went to college, and um, and so I really my memories of her are always as someone who was more grown up. You know, I used to go upstairs to watch from the bathroom window when she went off on dates. I mean, these are, these are things, you know, I was eight years old or something. But then later on, um, when I moved to New York after college, she was living here. We both worked in the same business. And so that brought us tremendously close. And now we're really close because we live in the same building. Were you a curious child? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And how did that manifest itself? Um, I, I, went, I would sit and read the encyclopedia and um, and you know, I just I loved to read, but we had the World Book Encyclopedia, and I just take one of those volumes off the shelf. And in fact, when I met your father, I I don't know, it wasn't the first thing I said, but <laughs> at some point I said, well, you know, I was the kid who read the encyclopedia because I thought. Hey, he's going to be really impressed. And he said, oh, me too. And I said, really? Do you remember the F volume with all the colored pictures of all the flags yeah. in the world book? We love the flags. And um, so, yeah, I was always curious, always uh, questioning. Um, and uh, maybe I got some of that from my father. You know, he, he, he was... Uh, he was brilliant, but had a great mind, and uh, he was a lawyer, and so he he did a lot of questioning. Um, he was also friends with uh, Thurgood Marshall. He had a lot of <laughs> he had a lot of friends. Um, so yeah, they must have known each other first from the federal bar. Maybe I n- I don't know. Um, he knew him. He he um, knew. Ramsey Clark, he, uh, who was the attorney general, I think, for Johnson. Um, Ramsey Clark's father, he knew Tom Clark, the Supreme Court judge. He knew Abe Fortas, who was on the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, yeah. So he, he uh, some of that Washingtonness uh, came into our lives that way. So what did you want to be growing up? Well, the unrealistic thing that I wanted to be was uh, <laughs> a dancer. I wanted to dance in Broadway shows, but I couldn't at all figure out how one got from Silver Spring to Broadway. Um, Practice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, well, you had some stage experience. Yeah, you were a tree in the... And that was my <laughs> the highlight of my ballet career. I was, uh, in our recital, we put on the 12 dancing princesses, so 12 little girls got to be the princesses. And the rest of us were trees in the forest. <laughs> mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say this, that I was a tree on point mm-hmm. with glasses, bifocals, just in case the light caught everything. And um, we had to um, come out on, on point all together as a forest, um, started out backwards, you know, as ball- ballerinas will do, and come across the stage. And everybody's going along and along and along. And my little branches on my head got caught in the curtains. And everybody else is <laughs> dancing on stage. And there were, were mothers backstage extricating me hurriedly from the curtains. 
and all alone, solo, <laughs> my glasses and I, on point, came across the stage and joined the forest. And I said to my mother, um, Mommy, I was a little late making my entrance. Did anybody notice? And she said, no. Let's go get ice cream. So. And you were also, uh, being from Maryland, you were also... An oyster. An oyster, that yeah. That is true. Yeah. That was in second grade. <laughs> These are all traumatic things. That's why I remember them. So I was a, uh, you know, we did um, a show Products of Maryland. And so... Um, <laughs> It's a catchy name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some of the girls got to be black-eyed Susans, the state flower with nice crepe paper petals <laughs> coming off of their heads. And um, I was chosen with some other kids to be an oyster, again with glasses, but with this enormous shell made out of poster paper and gray <laughs> shorts and a t-shirt. and A star turn. A star, <laughs> a star kissed turn. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. So, with this experience, being from Silver Spring, Maryland, you still did have like high hopes and dreams. You know, you traveled across the country with your parents, and in you said in your hotel room, you would sing. Yeah, when we got to California, I I sang. The problem for my family was that I sang all the way to California <laughs> to to practice because I thought. I was 11 and um, sort of an imaginative kid, and I thought, if there's a director in the room next to our room at the hotel, if I sing, they'll discover me and put me in a show or something. Wait till they hear I can dance, too. But, <laughs> so, um, you know, we're crammed in the car, and, and um, I was singing the songs that were popular in the day, and uh, over and over and over again. But um, that didn't happen. But the trip was broadening in other ways. Yeah. <laughs> if not helping my career, it certainly helped, uh, helped me see the, the world as it, as it was. Helped me get my first hula hoop. That, yeah, that yeah was very amazing. important. It was. So I didn't know anybody who had been to the Grand Canyon or to, um, to the Rocky Mountains or any of these exotic places and um, to Disneyland when it was only three years old. I mean, kids, we all saw it on television, Disney, Disneyland, but we were there. And, but we um, stayed with former neighbors of ours from Silver Spring who had moved to California, my little best friend who moved away after kindergarten. And they had this amazing new toy, which was a hula hoop. And I played with the hula hoop, had to, had to say goodbye to the hula hoop when my parents <laughs> said it was time to drive back and get us back into school. And um, so for the whole 3,000 miles heading east, um, some would say I whined. <laughs> some would say I asked respectfully. I don't know. Um, and this I, is after Aunt Jane had her appendix removed in California. In California. And we had to, yes, yeah, so it took us four weeks to drive to California. She had her appendix out. Um, and she was due to start college uh, soon after our return. But she had to recuperate out there, which is why I was out at my friend's house playing with the hula hoop <laughs> and um, bonding with the hula hoop, hula hoop. And anyway, so when we were free to go back home, um, we had taken four weeks to drive out. We drove home in one week and um, got her back to college. And 
So when we reached Pennsylvania on the return trip, uh, my sister, and I'm forever thankful still to this day, said, get her the hula hoop. <laughs> and I sat, we, my parents got me this lime green hula hoop, and I sat in the back seat. My sister smushed against the door, <laughs> and I'm taking up two-thirds of the seat proudly. But boy, did I have something for show and tell. Were you always creative, Mom? Yes. Yeah. Next question. Yeah. Yeah. I was a very, I was very creative, um, uh, a natural writer very early, and um, loved to draw. I loved when we didn't have to go out on the playground and play kickball when we, you know, it would rain, and the teachers say we have to stay inside and do art. I loved that. So, very. Um, very creative. How did you find out about the Beatles? We had a radio station called WWDC, and they um, had a copy of a not yet released single. Um, maybe she loves me or something like that. And or I want to hold your hand. I don't, I don't know which one came first. It, but um, and somebody who worked at the station had been had. A, knew an airline steward that's what it was an airline stewardess who gave somebody at the station a copy of this record and they started playing it over and over and over and um then there were stories in time and newsweek and about um this band in england see things on television all these screaming girls in england but they kept playing the one record probably both sides of it and then um then they played more songs and more songs, and the Beatles were going to come to Washington um, for their first concert after their first Ed Sullivan show. And this record store, all record stores all around, but the one that my girlfriend and I went to, Super Music City in Silver Spring, was selling tickets. And so somehow we scraped up the $3. Meanwhile, um, WWDC was playing the music nonstop, 24 hours a day, Beatles music. And it's like, it's like, um, uh, you know. Pavlov? <laughs> something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just constant. It's all anybody talked about at school, anybody talked about when they were home. Um, I ha we had a big radio in the, in the uh, living room. I would do my homework on the floor of the living room with the record, you know, the radio going. Must have driven your parents crazy. Well, it was, <laughs> it was like a drug. It was, you know, you, you just needed this music. You needed to talk about Paul <laughs> or George or John or Ringo and who liked which one and, you know, every, everything. It was constant. And um, my parents, my father was a musician. He um, was a, a something of a prodigy as, as, as a child on the piano. And um, he had played his way through law school uh, up in the, the uh, Catskills in the summers and um, in a band. And so he was analyzing the music and he said, you know, it, it's um, monotonous. They keep playing the same <laughs> chords. And I'd say, oh, it's so wonderful. And so um, anyway, we had these, these tickets and... It's my friend's brother was supposed to drive us to the concert, but it snowed that day, and um, so the the 
boy's mother wouldn't let him drive because he had just gotten his license. So I said, Dad. <laughs> and my father drove us down there, a million kids, a million carrying on kids. Um, and he, he uh, had my gratitude for the rest of my life. Um, but every few years he'd say, you know, <laughs> I drove you down there. When you look back at Silver Spring, it's obviously it felt, I'm sure at times, like a small town. Mm-hmm. What do you look back and, and love about Silver Spring? What I loved was the sweet childhood that it was. It was the 50s, and um, we were not aware of a lot of awfulness. I think we were a very protected generation because fathers had come home from the war, um, and and it was very family-centric then uh, because families were being, you know, were reunited. Uh, My father had not served in the war because he had a pre-Pearl Harbor child, Mm -hmm. my sister, and that that, uh, exempted you from service, so he did what he wanted to. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so we rode bikes and we um, caught lightning bugs and it was, you know, very simple times. We walked to school, um, and, um, but it was Washington too, because I remember, I remember one of my lightning bug evenings, um, when the, several of the neighbors brought aluminum chairs to our lawn and, um, our next door neighbor, um, was a political correspondent for the Associated Press. And when I was eight years old, he had just come back from the Eisenhower nominating convention, the second one. And um, I, I was catching my, my bugs and <laughs> running around, and the, um, the adults were talking about Eisenhower, Nixon, never any good things being said. Even that early, I caught on. Yeah. And so I was aware of politics. I was aware of what was going on in Washington. Um, and um, so, I, you know, I would say just the times were very um, slow and sweet. And But by the same token, talk about the best way that you were told to avoid an atomic attack. Oh, that was yeah. terrible. I yeah. forgot to say I was coming into Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm waxing poetic. But the truth is that... Um, we so this was in the in the fifties and um, at my elementary school. Well, at, in the fifties, we were living under the threat of um, atomic bombs, and um, so I think it, maybe I was in the second grade, and our teacher, and I suppose it was happening in all of the the grade levels at my school. The teacher handed out. Um, uh, these maps of Maryland, Washington, Virginia, and um, there were concentric circles on the the uh, paper over the map. And she told us to color in um, red for Washington, D.C., because that's where the bomb went at first, and then color orange over... <laughs> Maryland, where Silver Spring was the next level. And then we turned those papers in. And then uh, there was a drill 
And when the fire alarm went off or something, um, we all had to leave school and walk home as fast as we could. They arranged for a parent to be home. Most of the mothers were home anyway. And they would time us to see how fast we could outrun the bomb. Mm. So that was What very, a horrible reality. It was a horrible reality. And um, so, you know, we were protected, but there were things. I mean, there was television. It's pretty new still, but um, we had television, of course. And um, so when I saw the students uh, in Little Rock having to have armed guards um, uh, walking them to school, I said to my parents, I don't need the um, deputies to walk me to school or whoever. And um, it, I, I was very aware very early that not everybody had the privileges that I did. It just did, did seem fair. So, um, so you know, it was, it was a lovely childhood, but there were things. When you got ready to go to college, Aunt Jane went local. She mm -hmm. went to University of Maryland. Go Terps. <laughs> what, what, what made you want to go away to the University of Connecticut? Yeah, so I, um, I went, well, that's two questions. One, why did I go to UConn? And the other one was... Um, why did you go away? Why did I go away? Yeah. I had been away from Silver Spring um, for three summers. I went away to camp. Um, I went to camp in Pennsylvania and um, most all of the other kids were from New York. Long uh, Island. Long, Long mm -hmm. Island in particular. Long Island. It, yeah. lo yes, I came home. I, I came home. <laughs> I can't do it now. Wait. I came home with the Long Island accent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, from my camp at the end of the summer. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, um, so I had been away, um, broadened my world a bit, and... Um, I, when it came time to go pick colleges, um, I, I applied to Maryland, but I also wanted a different experience, I think. And I didn't have a lot of uh, guidance from my guidance counselor. So my sister had an old Lovejoy's college catalog, you know, from years before. So I went through it. And um, Connecticut... I wanted to be a teacher by that time. That that was my other thing, you know, after I gave up my dreams of dancing. <laughs> I, I um, very much wanted to be a teacher because in, in those days you could be a teacher or an airline stewardess or a nurse or a secretary. Teaching, I always played school with my friends and was bossy enough to be the teacher. Um, so uh, UConn... Or Connecticut was at the beginning of this Love Choice catalog. I didn't have to turn too many pages. It sounded nice. They said they had a lovely New England campus. Okay, that's fine. That was one. And then Leslie College, which uh, was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, it was a teacher's school. Um, I went up and visited that school. I loved Leslie College. Um, it, I said it, it slipped out. I said to my my parents after the tour, I said, I could see going to camp here. So, <laughs> Whoop. Uh, so and then, um, so, and I, you know, I chose UConn, um, and I was sort of like a foreign exchange student because everybody was from Connecticut, but I had a good time. One of the activities up there, cow tipping? Well, <laughs> I think in its time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But uh, while, you, while you were up there, so you're, are you, do you immediately go into... The school of education no 
I went into liberal arts first. You had to do that um, for two years, and then you chose your major. So I, um, you know, and you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and courses, you don't know what you're doing there, but you need something, astronomy, for instance. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and botany. Botany. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I th yeah. I thought, okay, I can draw I could draw well, so I could draw the cross section of a carrot. <laughs> Other than that, wasn't happening. It's, less, it's, it's a lot like the concentric circles. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Right. So um, I took in my. Wait. Sorry. I didn't. I never realized how loud it is living in in Midtown. Midtown, in Midtown East. Midtown. Yeah. Midtown East is the noise center of the universe. <laughs> like, I always thought that our apartment had, like, a ton of... Yeah, apparently not. Yeah. Now, we're also... On, this is an emergency street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they use this street. They also use it to um, to provide access to the UN mm -hmm. for the president. And uh, So that was exciting when Obama would oh drive by. Oh, my gosh. People on the sidewalk. I saw him so many times... I never got over it, and people would be on the sidewalk, everybody hugging each other after he <laughs> left. It was just wonderful. Nobody goes out now. Oh, Nobody. Yeah. People <laughs> hide under their bed <laughs> right, right. when well, Trump comes. Know, yeah. yeah, if there's an atomic bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Anyway, so um, in my at the end of my sophomore year, uh, I took a child development course, and I thought, wow, this is really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Um, I could have applied to go into the school of education but you had to have take chemistry or you had to have had chemistry and i didn't have chemistry was deathly afraid of, <laughs> of it and um for one year in silver spring maryland or in my county montgomery county um you could substitute earth science for chemistry so i said i'm in for that because Again, I could draw, and you need a you need a volcano. I'm your girl. You know, I could draw a volcano. So I did very well in earth science, but I didn't have the heart or uh, mind for chemistry. And I thought I'd really love to know about the growing child, and I I would be trained to teach um, preschool or go into um, social work. There were two avenues. And um, well, before that, was there anybody? when you were growing up, who did encourage you to do more, even though society might not have? Um, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think so. I know, I know I was interested in writing. Um, nobody quite knew how to direct me to art school. I mean, I didn't even know what a portfolio was. And, and again, the, the counselors were sort of... Absent? Totally. You know, they were not offering these things up um, and um, so I think I th you know I think I was I just felt I would be a teacher now so anyway so I went and that got me through my sophomore year um, and then at the same time um, or earlier when I was 15 I was diagnosed with scoliosis um, sideways curvature of the spine um, and I wore a body brace through high school, hoping the doctors hoped that they would that would correct it. Um, went off to college, and um, my condition was clearly worsening. Um, I I still can remember being in a big lecture hall and not being able to sit up straight because my body was rotating on itself, and I I just was. Um, 
getting worse. And so um, my parents, for uh, that first year of college, maybe into the second, I'm not sure, um, every vacation I came home and we went to a different surgeon. I went to four different surgeons with my parents so they could find the right doctor for me um, because it, it seemed that I did need surgery. My heart and lungs were being compromised. Um, and one doctor said that if I didn't have the surgery, I would be um, in constant pain from by the time I was 25. So um, two doctors said that I could wait until I finished college two more years. Two doctors said that I should have it after my sophomore year. So I told my parents, um, after the fourth doctor, I said, I'm going to go make this decision. I went into my room by myself, I'm 19 years old, um, and I came out and I said, I'd like to have the surgery this summer so I don't have it hanging over my head. So um, that meant I had to withdraw from the university, and when the time came, reapply. I suppose they were keeping a, a space open for me. Um, well, how, how scared were you? Of the surgery? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I was. I, I mean, I, um, again, this was something, I didn't know anybody who had this. You know, there was nobody to talk to. Now there are... Yeah, there's no internet boards. No, to, yeah. that's yeah. right. There are now there are resources. Now they do scoliosis checks. The school nurses do mm-hmm. it. I mean, there was not, none of that. So um, I just, but I just had a resolve. I had tremendous support from my family and um, my doctor... Um, was amazing. I've talked about him many times to you. Dr. McKelvey, he was a Scotsman. um, And he made me a partner in in this process. He talked to me. He liked the fact that I asked a lot of questions. And um, we could have conversations about how it would be moving forward. So I was operated on uh, in the summer. Um, I spent a month in in um, Georgetown University Hospital, and um, and then I was sent home in a body cast, for, uh, which I wore for six months. And um, when the doctor sent me home from Georgetown, he said, "You can sit up three times a day in your bed for meals. You can walk to the bathroom, which was on the same floor." my house and the answer to everything else is no (laughs) and so for the I think it was the first three months until I had my next doctor's appointment two and a half months or something with him um, I was upstairs I didn't go down the stairs Um, you were in bed I was basically in bed and so um, how'd you fill your time well um, I was uh, I had a I know I had a pair of prism glasses so I could read put a book on my stomach and it was a prism so because I could sit up mm-hmm. um, I but then um, I, I watched television I had a television in my room um, watched a lot of baseball mm-hmm. um, watched a lot of things in the world happen uh, after after I got out of bed I mean but still I was um, home from college during the 1968 when there were too many things like assassinations and horribleness Vietnam. But um, before the surgery, to answer your question, um, 
I, the doctor came in the night before and uh, stood at the end of my bed, and he said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm afraid. My parents had left, you know, for the night, and I said, I'm afraid. And he said, um, we'll take good care of you. You have as much chance um, of anything going wrong as a man falling off the moon. And because we hadn't yet landed a man on the moon, mm-hmm. that seemed like, you know, pretty good chances for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and um, and the important thing too about the doctor was that he not only treated my body but he treated my um mind and when i would go to him for appointments he knew i was not in school he knew i loved to learn so he um would have me uh memorize robert burns poetry a great great scott poet and uh analyze shakespeare quotes and all of these things that I had homework assignments um, from, for, for him and or from him. And, um, and I kept up the relationship with him even after um, I moved away. I'd go and see him once a year. Where were you for John F. Kennedy's mm. assassination and where were you for Robert F. Kennedy's? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's still, it's still painful um, to remember, and those of us of a certain age, when we see the the clips on television, it just brings you back right back to a just a terrific, frightening time. So um, I was in high school. I was in um, my, in the eleventh grade. I was sixteen in my French class, and um, it came over the loudspeaker that the president um, had been shot that he was being given the last rights. Nobody could believe it. A lot of, um, you know, a lot of the girls put their heads down on their desks and they were crying. And I, I mean, this is just a, a very personal thing, but I had this brace that was holding me upright and I couldn't put my head down. I, I always, I just had to sit up and, and you know, um, couldn't give in to my grief there. That in a physical way, and um, they let us out of school early, and um, kids were just stunned and crying. And uh, I took not a school bus home, but a, a city bus that t- took us home. And um, got home, my mother had been at the um, grocery store when somebody ran in and said the president's been shot. She and her friend, who she was with left their groceries and came home. Um, my sister was at college. Um, my father came home, but I, you know, he was, his work was in Washington, so I think everybody was exiting the city. And I remember that you couldn't use the phones to call out because it was a national emergency. And in Washington or the suburbs, you couldn't um, use your phones. We didn't have cell phones or anything. And, um, and then, so my sister came home from college. We were all sitting around watching the events over the weekend. Just so sad. Um, Jackie with the children on the steps of the cathedral. Um, one of my friends, Margaret, did go down to see the casket. Um, she asked me if I wanted to go. My mother said it's going to be so crowded, and so you know you you can see it up close here. So. I stayed home, and um, and 
then we went back to school on Monday, and some of the teachers made made it a teaching moment and talked about it, like in my history class or something. But my French teacher, I think it was the French teacher or the math teacher, I forget, decided to give us a test. And I said, uh, nobody studied for it. We're all going to fail. And he said, take out your pencils. Mm. And so we had a test. I certainly failed it. I'm sure other kids did. Um, and so that was just, how could this happen? This young family, such promise. Um, he was a hero to us. Um, set this country on a different, exciting path, and it was unbelievable. Um, so when the Beatles came around that a few months later, that was a chance to smile again and feel like kids again. Um, we lost our innocence when, when uh, Kennedy was shot. Um, Bobby Kennedy, uh, I, had st- I was in, at home um, still recuperating, so that was in 1968. I was allowed out of my room. I, you know, could walk around the house. But I stayed up late to listen to a Washington Senators um, baseball game. They were playing in, in on the West Coast, and so I, w- I had the radio on and I was listening to it. And the news came over the radio. I had a television in my room, turned on the television. But it must have been like one o'clock in the morning or something. The house is dark. The whole neighborhood is dark, and there is Ethel, you know, cradling her husband and live commotion and um, just a lot of, of um, screaming and crying. And so um, there I was in my dark room on my dark street. I looked out to see if any neighbors had their lights on, if anybody else knew this. And I decided that maybe I was the only one that knew this. So I woke up my parents and told them um, it was just, just unthinkable. So, yeah, I mean, just, you know, awful things. There's a lot of awfulness that we can discuss. Um, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King also. And yes, and, you know, there were terrible riots in Washington, but Martin Luther King, there had had been the great... um, the great uh, gathering um, on the Washington Mall. That was our city, and um, and he was such a an amazing leader, and the country needed him. and And then he was gone too. The Freedom Riders. Freedom Riders. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was. I guess that was all. Uh, the Freedom Riders were when I was in high school, and my friend Margaret um, came to school one day, and she said that her um, minister at her Unitarian church had been beaten up. He was riding on one of the buses, and he was horribly beaten up, and um, I believe he died. But and she told me that, you know, so these things were coming into our schools. We we had this protected childhood when we were like in elementary school, but high school was was very challenging, and we grew up fast. Yeah, you did return to school. I did return to school. And what was that like, having been away for a year? Yeah. So, um, so in that year um there had been a lot of changes and um kids kids um 
so I, you know, I left. This, I went to school in 1965. I entered college, and and things were still. Um, girls wanted to be cheerleaders, or you know, every, every, roles were sort of still the same. Um, and it was um, all the trappings of almost a 1950s college existence, rah-rah stuff. And when I came back, it was very different. Um, there were drugs. Um, I don't think, I mean, there's a lot of pot. I don't know if there were, but I don't think anything really beyond that. But there was plenty of that. And there was, um, girls were beginning to want different things. And um, everybody had long hair. <laughs> it was, you know, so it was, it was, you could feel a change. And politically, there was a change. And um, Kent State? Kent State, yeah. So, so that was another thing. I, I, um, so I majored in child development. I loved my courses then. I had a purpose, I felt. And um, um, I reunited with many of my friends. I stayed in the, the sorority house that my, my friends from the first two years had joined, so I went there. And, um, and I was glad to be back. And then, um, and then I got mono. For my, um, uh, it was the last month of my senior year, and I was in the infirmary for a month, and they let me out to go to one demonstration a day because that oh that's right because that's what can stay happened when I was in the infirmary and I was watching it on the on the uh, TV and um, that was that was another thing. Um, so then there were National Guardsmen on our campus too, and um, I. The, at the infirmary, they said I could go to one demonstration a day, but classes were canceled, so I had to go back to the infirmary after that. And, um, you know, I wanted to be on the Nixon enemies list, I was sure, because <laughs> I had been in it. That, that was a goal of mine. Um, um, and, yeah, so that, that's, that's one thing that I remember. I also, in my child development class, read, um, was assigned... Betty Friedan's um, Feminine Mystique, and she talked about women working and not necessarily being married. And, not, you know, I had a whole floor of girls on, on, in my sorority house who were planning their weddings and talking about their diamonds and everything. And if you weren't one of those girls, what was going to happen to you when you got out of college? And so Betty Friedan said it was okay to just be. And uh, that was a guiding principle for me. And P.S. When I met your father, um, soon after I met him, but he had me over to dinner at his apartment. So I was wandering around looking at the books, which one does, and there was his copy of Betty Friedan's book. And he was a feminist. Um, I still have that book. I think it cost his book. I think it cost seventy-five cents, and <laughs> I still have it. And I thought he's a keeper. We think along the same lines, so we, we... So after college, you you make your way up to New York City, you have this child development degree, mm -hmm. and you get into... Magazine. <laughs> yeah, but before, when I went home to Silver Spring with my child development degree, I took a job, here's a good fit, at the Natural Gas Lobby mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for, uh, it was called the American Gas Association, 
Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, after about nine months of that, I did head up to the big city. Um, I got into magazines. So a couple of the magazines you worked for were? The Ladies' Home Journal, Family Circle. Um, Archie Comics. Archie Comics for a three-month stint. That was my first job in New York, um, which mostly involved uh, working the switchboard and um, and and sitting with two kids who came on a work-study program in the afternoons from high school. <laughs> These boys who were probably good is still they're probably still doing that age, <laughs> age seventy. Yeah. And but they. They um, kids would send in a quarter for the comics, and we'd have to take the quarters and put them in locked boxes with a little slot at the top, so we wouldn't steal the quarters. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, um, you know, I could write these comics, I could draw these comics. I have a college degree, so. Well, people were also calling in to ask for uh, if, if oh, Archie is, was there, if Betty, Betty was there. Betty, can I speak to Veronica? <laughs> I would say it's speaking. <laughs> Yeah. But you you eventually got to get your creativity out there. Well, through your writing. In at at the at the magazine. At, at the real magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I had a really great time um at those magazines. And you were amongst other creatives. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very creative atmosphere. Um and uh I felt very lucky to to be in in a place where something was always happening, and um, and you know somebody would say, "Can you just um, can you just make here's some fabric? Can you can you make a tent for kids to play in?" Sure. <laughs> and so we'd multitask. I was was writing um, the copy for various editors, uh, making people want to. Uh, to make grilled cheese sandwiches 25 different ways or make a sweater in a weekend. Women were just going into the workplace, so we had to change from the stay-at-home audience to uh, meals that you could make in a minute or quick things um, that they could do over the weekend or, you know, with their family. Um, and um, so it was it was a good, a good career for me. And you rose up. Uh, in the ranks pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're working in media at a pretty pivotal time. Mm-hmm. You're working in New York at a pretty pivotal mm-hmm. time. Um, what was the atmosphere like in terms of feminism, in terms of doing things that women were really like, you know, starting to get their voice? Yeah, exactly. It was a very exciting time. And I worked with, um, well, three people I was very close to um, who were 10 years older than I was. So um, they were leading the pack. A couple of years, maybe three years before I came to the Ladies' Home Journal, there was a sit-in. Gloria Steinem led a number of uh, women who came to the Ladies' Home Journal, took over the editor's office, kind of held the the, uh, editor-in-chief and the deputy editor um, hostage in the office for, um, I don't know, 17 hours or something, demanding... Uh, more pages with the feminist view and th- the advertisements that they had were like um, were like very <laughs> ancient ideas of women, you know. Um, so um, well, always through like a man's view. Oh, the editors were all men. You know, that's the other thing. The the um, the editors in chief. I mean, most of most of the um, 
editors, there were some men, but mostly were women, the staffs were women, so, but they were being led by men. And so that made for a change um, and made an awareness. And then when I came to work, so I started at the Ladies Home Journal when I was 23, I think, or 24. And, um, and so my first job and these three older women were going out at lunchtime to march in the streets with Bella Abzug, with Gloria Steinem, with Betty Friedan on Fifth Avenue. But my friend Louise and I, we were both new girls and younger, and we were afraid to leave our jobs to go out to, to march in the streets because what if we didn't have a job when we came back? And so um, we didn't go to, into the streets, but everybody came back from the streets into our offices, and they, they'd sit down and they'd tell us everything. So it was like we learned at the feet of our elders, and um, then that group we would meet sometimes on the weekends and have consciousness racing groups, you know, talk about how you should, how you should uh, point yourself forward um, as a fully realized woman with a lot of opportunities, make opportunities for yourself. So... Um, you know, and we did we did small things in the office. Um, we said one day we marched into our um, associate publisher's office at the Ladies' Home Journal. His nickname was Duke, <laughs> and there were about I don't know six or seven of us. We walked in and we said, Duke. <laughs> you cannot call us honey, baby, or dearie in the office anymore. And he said, oh, okay, okay. And I'm telling you, we, it was a small thing, but we felt empowered. Mm -hmm. How did you actually meet Dad? So um, I was a young career girl living um, at uh, 58th and 3rd. And with my two roommates in a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how much did the apartment cost? I think it was about a hundred and thirty dollars. <laughs> we had we split it three ways plus utilities. Wait, it was hundred thirty dollars yeah. total. Something like that. And That's wait, insane. yeah, th thirty dollars for the apartment. Yeah. Uh, you know, three dollars for the Beatles ticket, and. Right. Uh, a different yeah. time. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, unless unless seventy five cents unless, for Dad's uh, book. You I know. don't know unless it was three. Three hundred and ninety dollars, maybe it was. Paid one hundred and thirty. I don't know. It it's a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. But things were different. Yeah. And um, so, my mother had a friend. Her name was Florence. And Florence had a friend. Edna Rosenthal was her friend. And um, and the husbands were friends. And so Florence said um, to my mother, "There's a nice boy, man, moving to New York." Um, your daughter lives in New York. Can we give him Marjorie's name? And um, so my mother said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so Florence um, probably said, I'm sure these are the exact words she used, there's a lovely girl living <laughs> in Manhattan, and gave um, your dad to be um, my number. And he called me up. Um, we talked, had Washington in common. Well, not uh, just Washington, well, Silver, Silver Spring. Spring. Silver, Silver Spring, right. Well, yeah, I, I often refer to Silver Spring. The greater, the greater Washington. Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so um, 
on that first telephone call, he asked me for a date, and so he asked me where I lived, and I gave him my address, and he said, oh, I just moved out of there because his company in New York had an apartment for transients, for new hires, and I got off the phone, and I said to my, he lived in that apartment, I said to my roommate, which one is he? Which one do you think he is? <laughs> was he the tall guy in the elevator, or what? Who, who, you could have crossed paths. We, oh, we undoubtedly did. Yeah. We lived there for three months, and so um, I'm sure we did see each other. And then um, we went out um, for uh, that first date, and Nixon had just resigned in August, and our first date was in September, and so we were talking about that, talking about Watergate. Um, hit it off from the beginning, um, just a great, fun match. Um, you know, we did sweet things. We both had cameras. <laughs> We'd go and take pictures of each other, and, um, you know, we took the ferry to Staten Island. We um, went... Well, that's not so glamorous. <laughs> I wasn't at all, but it, it was sweet. Uh, we had a picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to um, the... some. Uh, the the Gener- what is it the Fest- San Gennaro San Gennaro festival we yeah so um and um he was working for a bank and he, he'd often come up to the main office for the the bank and it was right across the street from my magazine office and he sometimes he would come up there from his downtown office for meetings and He'd drop over to my office, which was a very creative space, creative people doing creative things and dressing creatively and more casually. The <laughs> art director used to wear a Mickey Mouse T-shirt with jeans. Um, we, The women were dressed very, like, trend, you know, very trend-setting, um, uh, but definitely more casual than the bank. <laughs> and so... Steve would come to visit, and they'd say, Margie's boyfriend's here. He's wearing a three-piece suit. People would go out to look because it was such an, such a strange visual. And um, so we just had – we did a lot of fun things. There was a tickets booth downtown, the first one, and you could get theater tickets for like $10. And we were just always taking a chance on seeing a show, good or bad. Um went to wonderful small restaurants. It was a great time. And um, so then we decided to get married. And um, A year, a, a month, a week, and a day? Your father figured that out after we met. A, yeah. year, a year, a month, a week, and a day. And we got married, fittingly, at the Watergate Hotel. <laughs> scene, scene of the crime. Yeah. Um, literally scene of the crime. Literally (laughs) scene scene of the break-in. And and then we made our life, a life for ourselves in Greenwich Village and then Roosevelt Island. Well, yeah. So what did you like about New York City back then? Oh, gosh. Well, everything was happening. It was, um, you know, just very fast-moving, um very center of the universe in a lot of ways um and always something to do we loved central park and we lived in in the village so you could still feel it was just at the end of the guitar shops and and um little uh venues where people you know 
singers would perform. Um, just a great place. And um, it, uh, yeah, it just held a lot of promise, I think. So you guys moved to Roosevelt Island. We did. We were pioneers on Roosevelt Island. <laughs> there were four apartment buildings, and um, there are many more now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we um, lived there um, for, I think, five years, and um, that's where... Uh, I was pregnant and brought our baby. Oh, yeah. So we did bring Mary back to Roosevelt. But the thing about being pregnant was that we had no subway access to Manhattan from the island. It's an island. You had a tram. We had a tram, like a ski lift tram, (laughs) over the East River, like a Disney World ride. And uh, we took the commuter tram to work. It ran on a schedule. Then it ran every 15 minutes during the day. So now I'm pregnant, (laughs) getting bigger. And I'm thinking, I am going to go into labor, hanging over the East River. (laughs) And I'm going to have my picture taken for the cover of the Daily News. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was, I always had to go out and be sure my hair was perfect because I was going to be looking ugly in labor anyway. <laughs> my hair had to look right. Good. Seth Meyers, you know, and his yeah, wife it, had their child in the, in lobby. the lobby. You would have been hanging over, over the, the East River. Yeah. yeah, but fortunately, that didn't happen because um, we. Uh, I went into labor in in the middle of the night, like so, like at one thirty in the morning. My husband went down to tell the doorman to get a cab for us. And um, fortunately, somebody was coming back with from a date, and we. we yeah, well, because otherwise, what what cabs are going to guess, Roosevelt Island? Well, none, zero, yeah, yeah. <laughs> zero. But um, I guess you could call, maybe call I, car service or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the doorman would have delivered the baby. He's right, but Eric was born in Lenox Hill Hospital, same hospital that As Beyonce Blue and, Ivy, yeah. and Jay Z went to. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So before it was cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But. Having a pregnancy in the first place, I mean, that's a big deal, especially considering your surgery. Yes. So I went to my doctor in Washington to tell him that we were considering having a baby and would my back be able to withstand that? And um, and he said, yes, you should be fine. Come back. This is before I had any babies. He said, come back and show me the twins. So I filed that little <laughs> tidbit away and thought, um... We'll go for one first. <laughs> and so Eric came um, the other way as a single baby, um, much loved and, uh, and welcomed. And, um, and then three and a half late- years later, we, <laughs> we did find out we were having twins. And I thought, Dr. McKelvey floated that <laughs> idea around. Yeah, and and uh, I put on a great deal of weight. Um, which made for big babies, both of them. And um, and so uh, my back withstood it, and, um, and they're still talking about me in Westchester <laughs> County because I was... I enormous. Was enor- enormous. Enor- enor- enormous. Yeah. But Talk so about I- when you went to the pizza place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we then um, if, we, they scheduled a C-section for the twins, and... Um, so we went out to dinner on, and it was on a Monday. The, I was going to give birth on a Monday. So on that Saturday, we went one last night out before we were a three. Before they trucked you off house. to the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, 
we went out to an Italian restaurant and um, we walked in and, you know, I was preceded by my enormous, enormous self. Um, and um, there, were, there was an older couple there whom we knew and the man was the doctor. And he looked at me and he said, triplets? And I thought, oh no, he's a medical professional. He knows something. Oh my gosh. But there, were, there was baby A and baby B. And, uh, and I, when we found out we were having twins, um, well, two things. One is I, went, I had the amnio uh, scheduled. And when um, I walked in and the receptionist said, let's see, Marjorie, you're here because of advanced maternal age, because I was over 35. She said, advanced maternal age, how are you feeling? And I said, well, I was feeling fine until you said that. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the other thing was, after they told us, um, they, you know, they did their tests and everything, and there were, in fact, two babies. And then they said, we'll just put you in this little room where the two of you can sit and chat. And so, you know, we're there saying, oh, my God, oh, my gosh. And so I said to Steve, how am I going to hold two and love three? And he said, it just seems so enormous, you know. And when you have your one baby anyway, who's going, to, your one child, now three and a half, but who's always, who's just been the one. And now it's one thing to share to, with one other baby, but, you know, and two is a, it's a whole lot. So, um, so how am I going to hold two and love three? And, and your dad said, um, if anybody can do this, we can. And, and that, just, that just set me um, looking forward and never questioning and and you and you did and he was a complete partner he was just amazing and we'd pass each other in the night doing the nighttime feeding so i'd be <laughs> heading downstairs with one baby and and steve would be coming up the steps <laughs> with the other baby with hi we'll see you at six o'clock in the morning and we'd both meet at six o'clock in the morning eric was very helpful I, he was at an age where i could send you upstairs to get diapers <laughs> which reminds me of how my sister when, no, seven years older than I was. She used to send me upstairs to get her cigarettes. <laughs> so it was the same sort yeah, of thing right. where you use what you have, yeah. and, you know. And and um, so so yeah. Eric would get diapers, or and and you did um, look at the the new babies in their playpen, and you said, "Are they always going to lie around like that? <laughs> Are they going to endeavor to do anything?" So I said, "Yeah, you'll be glad for the quiet times that we're having now." So, How did being a mother change you? Completely, uh, completely. I mean, this, this is, this is. Uh, it's hard to describe how fulfilling it is, how filled one's heart is, how you breathe every breath for your children. Um, but um, we also were able to balance and have our our own lives too. Um, and um, I made the choice. Um, to stop working, and um, and at at that time, m most people, women, were going back to work. A lot of them, anyway. Um, and um, I had enjoyed my career, but I felt I wanted to be home with my children. So um, I'm really glad I did. I I uh, I mean that I that I made that decision. And um, 
you know, to be, be there when the kids came home from school or, I mean, those first days of school when the three of you would run in and say, I need a ruler, I need pencils. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, and, and, you know, you all were tremendously creative. You were very open to anything I offered up. Um, I think the highlight of all of that was those travel books that we did. Um, we took a lot of road trips. My parents lived in Florida. The other grandparents lived in Washington. Put the kids in the car and go. <laughs> and um, so I started with Eric before your brothers were born, but um, when you could only scribble, but you could talk. And um, I wanted a way for you to remember your times with the grandparents. So if we went to Washington, you could draw picture and then you would tell me this is a picture of a dog <laughs> and, a, and a bus and you know whatever and then when you were able to write the words um you wrote the words and then um when Jeff and Dan the same I did the same for them but when they were how old were you when we went um down which what was the first what, one? To the South? The South? Yeah. That was, uh, I was in like seventh grade, I think. Uh, or, no, I'm sorry, uh, sixth grade. No, no, there, there, there was a time when you were much younger. Much younger. Maybe we went to Florida or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what I would do was, um, for the younger ones, I would um, draw, give them prompts. So I would, would uh, or, or fill in the blank things, you know, um, what states did we go through today? What billboards did you see? What, you know, name something that happened in um, Charlottesville, Virginia, or, or uh, Richmond, Virginia, or Charleston, or what did you see today? What was the funniest thing we did? Draw a picture of something you saw. You know, and, um, and all three of you did it for years and years. Um, and in fact, when Eric was in high school, and Dan and Jeff may have been in their last year of elementary school, um, we went to California didn't drive we flew mm -hmm, yeah. and i said is there anything you want for the trip new shoes i don't know what anything you need and uh you said no oh, i we, said pogs well that was that was a whatever <laughs> that that was a souvenir that was your your own money but, <laughs> but but no eric said we want travel journals blank to blank books and then you all did your own journals of course at that time had for many years that it continued and jeffrey you wrote your college essay about it i did and that meant a great deal because it said it heightened your powers of observation made you a better artist um let you record the different different things that you saw and um i noticed that you have not talked about pedro from south of the border well, well, that because that was really your father's kindness <laughs> in letting you go to south of the border because we did take these trips to Florida repeatedly and go through the same states and see these 2,500 billboards yeah. saying, stop at Pedro, <laughs> south of the border. And um, so um, finally, we always said, no, we're not going to stop there. We don't do tacky. <laughs> So you you established a life in Westchester, so mm -hmm. 30 minutes north of New York City. Mm -hmm. You, um, I think later on as we got a little older, would go to the city for plays. You would still get, you know, some culture up in Westchester, like going to see symphony orchestras, whatever. But, but on the whole, besides our, well, on the whole, what was your Westchester experience like? 
Well, it was it was very child centric. A lot of little league games. Um, I remember having pizza sixteen nights in a row because you all had <laughs> you all had night games for sixteen nights. Um, very child centric and um, helping out with the schools. And um, our friends were the parents of your children. They were the parents of children who were your friends. So it was all that involvement. Um, Purchase community house where you spent after school hours and summers and working and that that was like a third parent for us. They, it was a wonderful, wonderful place where you could go and be kids uh, and um, and learn responsibility and work ethics at the same time. And um, and your dad was the president of the board for a number of years, so we had real involvement there. And we always had it in the back of our heads that someday we'd probably move back into the city. Um, when Dan, Dan uh, after college, lived in um, Cleveland, so he was out of the house. And um, when you and you two moved into the city, uh, your dad said, well, that's it. We're out of here. And I said, where, where are we going? He said, I don't know. We'll go. We'll look around. We'll go to the city, and so um, we had that that part too. It was nice to come back. We had our apartment on the Upper West Side, and um, and we were walking everywhere. My sister, who has lived in the city without a break, um, said, um, "You know, you can take a subway or a bus <laughs> or a taxi." And I said, "You know." I've had to be in a wheeled vehicle every time I needed a tomato at the store <laughs> for 26 years. So I'm really happy to just walk. So we really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, when we were living in um, in Westchester, everybody's grown. We um, I read in the New York Times about um, a town in the center of North Carolina that was is the pottery center of America because the clay is so rich and for generations people have gone there to live and to make pottery and they had something like 350 um, residents in the town of Seagrove and 150 of them were potters so I said to your dad well this would be a fun road trip we'll go and buy some pottery and come home and so um, after the, that was in the winter, and so in, when the spring came, we had a new car. We wanted to put some mileage on it, and so we went down to Seagrove, and it's a, if not a one-horse town, it was a one B&B town, and we stayed in the one B&B, and um, there were these two other couples there, longtime friends. Three of them had gone to high school together, um, and one couple lived in Brevard, North Carolina, which is in the Western Mountains near Asheville. And the other couple um, lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and then, but they they were building a mountain house in Brevard. Um, and in fact, the man from the Brevard couple was building a house for them. These were their oldest friends. And Dickie, who was building the house, said, we'd do anything to bring Leslie and Ron back to the mountains. And I thought, whoa, this is true friendship. 
So we, you know, we're going buying pottery. We talked to these people. They said, come and join us and sit in the common room. We talked to them. We agreed on everything, politics and music and what we found funny. And they were warm and bright and just wonderful people. So, you know, we would meet up with them at different pottery places or we'd have breakfast with them over maybe two and a half days. And when we parted... Leslie leaned out the window and said, don't forget, we're soulmates. And I thought, we have to keep these people in our lives. And I, we thought we'd email from time to time or send Christmas cards or something. And um, so then we went back to um, our lives, put all our pottery on our bookshelves and had a, had a nice time. So that was in um, in... I think October, and then um, oh no no I'm sorry that was no that was when that happened okay then a year and a half later we um, decided having kept in touch that we would go down and visit our mountain friends they asked us to come for a reunion and we went to the little town in Brevard and we all stayed in Nancy Adicky's house Ron and Leslie Steve and me the minute we saw each other. Uh, poured a glass glasses of wine to have a toast. It was like we had always been together. And we went up during that visit to see the house in progress that Dickie was building for Ron and Leslie. It was lovely. It was in the mountains. It was quiet. Birds were chirping. It was beautiful. So then we went back home. And six months later, Steve, your dad, who ruminated about things often, um, said... You want to take a walk? So this is six months from when we were in Brevard. Sure, it's a nice spring day. We'll take a walk. We walked about a block in our neighborhood. <laughs> he stopped in the corner, and he said, what would you say about buying some land in Brevard and building a house in the mountains? And I looked at him, and I said, well, you know, how many times at our age do you get to take a leap? Let's do it. And I felt, I've said this often, I felt uh, sure of that um, answer as I did when he asked me to marry him. It was, it was that powerful, that meaningful, that emotional. So we set to um, making plans. Um, our friends in Brevard had a friend who was an architect. He became our architect. Um, their friends became our friends, so our circle grew. For about two years building the house, we went down there, I don't know, every six weeks maybe. We got to know the place, um, had a wonderful shared creative experience. My husband picking out ceiling fans and <laughs> say, what do you think of this ceiling fan? <laughs> On the computer, every night he was looking, what do you think of doorknobs for the bathroom? <laughs> call me in. So it was really wonderful from the ground up, picking paint colors, you know, all that stuff. And, um, and... So um, when we were living in the city at the time, um, and then we made the decision to give up our city apartment and live full time down um, in, in Brevard. We'd travel from there. That would be our base. We'd come back to New York and visit our family. And it all seemed uh, like a dream coming true. And we moved down there in May of 2009. Um, and did a lot in the first months. Um, had our family come and visit. We took a hike with you all, very not Westchester <laughs> County. We all took a hike. Um, 
had had meals with the friends. We had parties at our house. We went to their houses for dinner. I mean, just everything. We heard concerts. Yeah, it was a community. It was yeah, and we were part of it. Yeah. So it was just. Well, I mean, like as as some of your friends down there call it, um, they said that it was almost like you had been kidnapped for a cult. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But it was it was it was a quality of friendship that I think you hadn't really um, had in Westchester, and and it was this thing where. You know these these friends. It was almost like you, you were you were destined for one another. Uh, oh, there's no question. The depth of these friendships, on so many levels, just was life changing. Talk about being a mother, but in this in this case, finding these just soul soul brothers and sisters. And, and where maybe Silver Spring wasn't where yeah. you know for you, or yeah. where Westchester might not have been for you. Right. You really found a place in the mountains of Western yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, with the house in the woods. I mean, it was really with the occasional bear. Whoa. Yeah. So um, anyhow, um, and then everything was going along, and the fall came. It's exquisitely beautiful down there, um, the leaves. And um, we got some difficult news in October of that year. Um, your your uncle Paul in Washington um, married to your dad's sister Marjorie, the same name. Mm-hmm. They also have three children, um, same ages as you. And so um, Paul um, had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, in the beginning of that year. So he died in October. And um, so we were... Um, at the in Washington for the funeral and a few days after and your dad was coughing and I said you think we should, you should go to the doctor and he said yeah maybe maybe um so we went home and um in November he early November he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and um I always tell people this is the happiest story with the saddest ending, this chapter anyway, of our lives, but um, because happiness did follow. But um, in, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer in November, and he died seven weeks later. Um, and um, what, what a... Uh, what a still different th- difficult thing to comprehend, not only for myself and the tremendous loss that uh, I felt and still feel, but to then as a mother to see your children lose their father, they, you know, I know he would have been tremendously proud of you all, um, not just for the, the work that you do and how, how happy you've been doing it, but um, that all of you turned out to be exactly what he wanted. And he said, I don't care what they do as long as they're good people. And you are that. And you have so many of his qualities. Each of you have so many of his qualities. He was kind and caring and smart and funny and, um, and dear. And so that's... Um, that's you know, we, we had him, and we were all lucky for that. And um, so then I made the decision to stay um, 
and, down there and give Brevard a chance yep. and be with which him. is what Dad asked. Yes, he did. He did for you to wait to sell the house, to wait to for sell you the to house and experience and be with the people and, and where it wasn't tenable for you alone to live up up that mountain a half an hour away from anything else. You did stay in a cabin across the street from your friends. Right across the street. And so Nancy and Dickie made me their foster child, and I would eat dinner with them. They and my other friends, but primarily the ones right across the street. Um, They cried with me, laughed with me, they fed me, they willed me on... um, as my family did from afar or whenever we were together, I came up to New York quite frequently, especially in the last two years. I was down there for about four and a half years before I sold my house. Difficult decision, um, but um, I was coming up to New York eight and nine times, which said something. I really did need to be near you all, near all of the cultural things that I love in New York, but very difficult to leave my friends, although they find me very interesting mm-hmm. now that I live here and they come up to visit. Um, and so so we made our way forward. So you've been living here um, in the same building as Aunt Jane for the last... Five, five or six years, I think. Yeah, and, and Aunt Jane has been in this building for how long? Oh, since the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> since the beginning of time. But what yeah. what has... What has New York brought to your life uh, this go-round? Well, um, well, a sense of my myself as as a um, single person, but also a part of my you know my family is here, and so um, I. Even though you live across town, Dan lives downtown. I I do see you frequently. We you talk, like the drop-ins? The drop the pop-ins. I never. One of when we I first came back, um, I remember um, Jeff calling up and saying, "Can we come over? We're in the neighborhood." And then you were standing, taking up the entire door doorway, <laughs> and uh, you said, "Never underestimate the value of the pop-in." <laughs> and and you know I can walk up to the Metropolitan Museum or I can go to the ballet, and so. There are all those richnesses, and um, I think it's a, a good a good place for um, people on their own because you can go out on the sidewalk and not feel alone. There are about 800 people on any given block, yeah. and um, and so I understand the rhythms. I, I said to to your dad actually, I know how to do New York. Maybe I should go back to New York. And I did eventually, but I did stay um, and um, made my, put my roots down there too. So, um, so it's been a journey, and you know I have had, we have had as as a family, but um, I have had some challenges along the way. But I've learned a lot from all of those things, and um, probably stronger for all of it i'd say so mm-hmm. yeah um some some quick things before we finish off you know we've had a lot of friends who have um shouted you out in various forms <laughs> or that like you've looked out for um you know we we have not yet had Questlove on the podcast i know that that's somebody that you want to be in the room for i do um are there any requests that you would like other than that for people that uh should be on the podcast oh wow well Gee. Oh, mom! Mom keeps voicing her opinion for Ari Melber from yeah. MSNBC. Right, not going to happen. <laughs> no, but I'm telling you, I think <laughs> I, he knows things. 
He talks the talk. Mm -hmm. He drops hip-hop references into his newscast. Now, I just think he's doing a service for the community, mm -hmm. as we say. Mm -hmm. What community? <laughs> the community. Because he's got an audience of people my age uh, listening who would not get their daily dose of hip-hop otherwise. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And you owe him a thank you by having him on the podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you have any favorite episodes of the podcast? Because you have listened to our podcast. <laughs> I like... Well, my favorite ones are the ones that in which I've been shouted out. <laughs> Killer Mike. Mm -hmm. Killer Mike. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. Yeah. Um, there was one, I'm sorry I forget his name, but he went to my high school. Oh, Brian, Brian Nolan. Nolan. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So Killer Mike. Yeah. Brian Nolan. <laughs> um, who went to your high school. Yeah. And I, the one where you were interviewed, the two of you. By Naomi Zeichner. Yeah. So that's episode 200, yeah. I like Marsha's. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, John Legend. Loved John Legend. <laughs> loved it. That was a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a fan. <laughs> that's oh, good. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, you, you subscribed. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I, yeah. You yeah. left a review on iTunes. You yes. like. Yeah. Wait, I went to the breakfast club. You you uh, you watched our Breakfast Club interview? No, I went. There oh, you in went Houston. to the Breakfast Club. Oh, in Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah, yeah. on, yeah, 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 I'm giving yeah. you the With real. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the real thing. <laughs> sorry, yeah. there's a lot of Breakfast Club. <laughs> yes, and I almost met up with Bun B. I know, was, I know. He was otherwise occupied. He was, yeah. he was. But actually, he's coming to the city, so maybe we can, you know, that, yes, yeah. figure could, out something. We yeah. could have the, the Breakfast Club here. Here, yeah, yeah. actually. Um, you did go to high school with Goldie Hawn. I did. Yes, I went to high school with. Um, Connie Chung, who was a year ahead of me, mm -hmm. Goldie Hawn, who was two years ahead of me, uh, Carl Bernstein, Watergate again. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. that connection keeps coming up. But he was um, he was out of school. But I, when I was there, he's probably four years older, I think, or something like that. But his sister sat next to me in high in history, so get credit there. Mm -hmm. Ben Stein. Ferris mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Bueller. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's he, the good part. But, but yeah. he also like wrote speechwriter for Nixon. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I, right. that's why I'm saying Ferris yeah. Bueller. Yeah. yeah. Um. So two Jews and two black dudes. Our uh, movie mm -hmm. review podcast with the locks. Yes. Uh, Jadakiss, his favorite movie that he wants us to watch includes Goldie Hawn. It's, it's called, called Wildcats. Wildcats. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. it's a and, football movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Wait, so you've seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah. No. no, so Goldie... Maybe you should come see it with us yeah, and the locks. Goldie was... She used to come into my art class all the time because she had the teacher of the year before or something. And um, and she used to dress all in black and her blonde hair. Uh, her real name is Goldie Hawn. She was named after or Aunt Goldie or Grandma Goldie or something. And um, and she was tremendously talented. She was in uh, Bye Bye Birdie, but she had a real at the school show. She had a very small part as the mayor's wife who faints every time <laughs> Birdie the rock star comes into view. And she was hilarious and wonderful. And then um, she got a show in California, a TV show, and um, what laughing? No, it was it was um, like a morning. It was a TV show about a comedy about a morning television show. I think I good. I forget the name of it. But in any case, I went to the drugstore where they sold movie magazines, and I go to the movie magazines, and this man is standing there looking at a magazine and talking to another man, and he said, 
this is my daughter Goldie in the movie magazine. I'm thinking, whoa, this is showbiz. <laughs> this is Goldie Hawn's dad. Yeah. Goldie Hawn's dad. I was very close to stardom there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so are you surprised at the depth of knowledge that you now have about hip hop via us? Well, you ask, yeah, I mean, the answer is yes, I know more than anybody in my circle. Mm-hmm. And but it's been very broadening because there was a time when I, of course, knew nothing. And those in the New Jersey Turnpike discussions, <laughs> your dad and I had, and we said, what what is it that repeatedly what is it about the music and so you'd you'd explain it all very well but now i do know a lot um and um and i think you've gotten so much from your immersion in this um and um you know i see some hip-hop uh Move certainly when I go to the ballet. I rem- and I remember when you, um, Eric, I think one of your New Jersey Turnpike explanations. It was it was the biggest thing, or it's going to be the biggest thing. And you see it, the, you hear the music in commercials, and it's being used here, there, everywhere. And 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 you were right. You were very prescient because all of that did happen. Um, so yeah, I see it in the ballet or in theater. And can you talk about? what it was like when I came home from college and would take the whole summer to write scripts and run to Playland and what I did with four years of college behind me. And Well, first of all, I do remember you being at the top of the steps in our house outside, you know, outside your bedroom. And you announced soon after you graduated that you were never going to hold the desk job. (laughs) Well, really, really. So, um, and you did, we, then we moved away from that, the two story house to the, um, split level house and your room was on the, um, lower floor and probably every six weeks or so I would drop by your room and you were writing your script and I'd say, do you think, I don't know, you want to get a real job? Or I think I might have suggested a bank. And your father, who worked for a bank, had worked for a bank, said, Marge, do you really think he's going to work for a bank? So after a while, I gave that up. Um, I had thought when you were a freshman in college and you were... uh, Impressionable? Well, impressionable, but also um, I felt you had interests and talents that would take you into maybe being a political writer or something, and you had lunch with Doris Kearns Goodwin and shifted the conversation to when the Mets beat the Red, Red Sox. Sox, her team. And um, But you, you always certainly had an aware, participated in all of our conversations about politics, so I thought that was going to be your direction. Um, and But, you know, once... As as you know, when you went off to college and I said, so Eric, you're going to join a fraternity because dad was in a fraternity and I was at a sorority and go Greek and blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And you said, uh, that's not going to happen. And dad, very much the voice of reason. This I do miss having a voice of reason like that. <laughs> he said, um, Marge, it's his ex- college experience, not yours. And so when the other two came up, never mentioned <laughs> alpha beta gamma delta right. epsilon zeta right. eta. I never mentioned it I know the whole alphabet and um and go off and have your own experience and I think this is your choice this is not 
you know, this is fine. You're, you're enjoying it. You're, um, you're involved. You have a large group of contacts of friends and, you know, all of that. I'm, I'm enjoying watching you. So I, um, yeah, I will say, you know, I, I, and, and I thought also, uh, you and you did write. You had your right. Rihanna plane experience mm-hmm. and, for Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, you're still using your talents, your gifts. Um, Dan's immersed in stuff that he loves, um, and uh, so. And that's another thing that we probably don't have time. But I am the sports mom. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I always figured. Well, if I have boys, I. I liked baseball. I knew a lot, but I and that that came out of my, I t- wanted to be a writer. And my father, when I was probably in high school, said, "If you want to read, um, if you want to become a writer, you should read um, the sports pages because the sports writing is really great writing." And so I was reading the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Evening Star or other Washington paper, and sports became rather interesting to me. A girl who used to hide when it was my time for kickball and. and in uh, elementary school and um so got my own subscription to sports illustrated and i began to watch the washington senators i would watch a lot of sports never got into football but um but and then i had all these boys and so i could drop all these names dan would still be proud that i could pronounced Tim Biakapatuba. Close, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. From Michigan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so um, there was that. And um, so, you know, I think, um, oh, what I was going to say, because I'm looking at the couch where I spent a lot of time with my crutches by my side when I was recuperating. And during that time, I did look back on my life um, and I had this trauma happen, and I'm glad to be around. And so you look back on your life, and I think, you know, it's it's been a really great life. It's still ongoing, but I have um, so much pride in all three of you, and um, and there's still so much open to you and to me. So onward. I yeah. always say that onward, yeah. and I'm saying it now. Yeah. Well, Mom, I think that. Uh, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast. I think a lot of people were interested in hearing your story. I, I know you like to say that that you've told all your stories, but <laughs> but I'm happy that you told them here. And I think that for a 250th episode, we were really happy to celebrate you. And, oh my gosh. And, and the resolve and the power and the um, strength that you had to make it through things as a child, things uh, before you had kids, and things after you have had kids, and you are uh, a shining example for us, and we love you, and uh, thanks for for letting us uh, sit here and record this conversation. Well, now, um, you've done the impossible, which is... Uh, Robbed me of any words that I might have. I, I'm very touched by that, and this has been a wonderful experience. And uh, leave the mics here, and we can do this every day. <laughs> Never underestimate the pop in. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this classic episode of A Waste of Time with It's the Real. Jeff, people want to find out more about us. I'm Eric with the curly hair. You are Jeff with the glasses. Together, we are It's the Real. No apostrophe, no space. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called The Waste of Time with It's the Real. Jeff, people want to find out more about what's going on with us. Where can they go you can always go to patreon.com slash it's the real if you support independent creators like us then this is the place to go to help us move forward whether that's podcasting music tv film whatever it is if you contribute to this movement we will do give backs to you like t-shirts and stickers and live zooms and opportunities for you to be a part of something that we've been building for a while now with your help we can take this to the greatest heights patreon.com slash it's the real jeff do you have anybody that you want to shout here at the end of this podcast right now so i was reading this story about how it's not only the medical workers within hospitals but it's also the security guards and the maintenance crew and everybody who is a non-medical worker at hospitals I just want to shout them out make them feel because like they're on the front lines they as well. are absolutely on the front lines i want to shout out uh, anybody who is working for the mta anybody who is driving a bus anybody who is working a, a subway car anybody who is cleaning a subway car your work is so valuable we thank you we haven't ridden the subway in a long time on a certain level i miss it yeah. um, i miss being able to move around the city and i think we take that for granted a lot of the time new york city is the only subway in the world that had run 24 hours a day um we look forward to this city coming back to full strength in short order and until then thank you guys for taking that risk thank you for moving us around in this city and uh we salute all of you out there yeah i also want to and you know i'm sure we're going to do this every week yes but i want to shout out the uh the truck drivers yes i want to shout out the uh, garbage men and women. Yes. I want to shout out people who work at grocery stores, people yes. who work at drug stores. Yeah. I want to work. Uh, shout out to people who work at restaurants that are doing deliveries or not deliveries. And how about all the people who did work at restaurants, waiters, waitresses, bar staff, uh, bar bags, who are not working right now. We salute you. Keep your head up. Stay strong. And uh, our hearts are with you out there right now. And one last thing. I just want to you know, make mention of anybody who is a single parent right now or having to give up custody of your child to ensure their safety. I think that's just like a very tough thing, especially on Mother's Day. So I just want to shout out everybody um, who's going through that right now. Shout out to everybody who's making it through day by day, moment by moment. We're going to make this through hopefully together. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Right.